0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Regrowing organs sounds like science fiction, but it's more like science fact. When you try and think about regenerative medicine, there's a lot of problems that we need to solve. First, even if you manage to regrow an organ, you need to have a good blood vessel network and you need to have nerves that function. This week we hear about researchers who have been tackling both of these problems and coming up with some new solutions. Plus some really, really tiny DNA controlled robots. With the rise of robotics in a variety of forms has seen us go from really large, room-sized computers down to, well, smartwatches and smartphones. But if we want to get robots and machines even smaller than that, then we have to go down to a pretty fundamental level. And scientists for a long time have been building mechanical machines out of uh, nanomaterials. And these have been interesting and fascinating, but controlling them is always a bit of a trick. Researchers from Tohoku University in Japan have come up with a way to create a nano-sized machine, the size of a molecule, controlled by DNA signals. In fact, it uses this combination of biological and mechanical concepts to make some pretty incredibly small robots, a molecular-sized robot. So when we try and come up with a device or a system, We think about what is the smallest unit that we can make out of the parts that we have on hand. And we can only make an object out of the smallest materials we've got. And in this instance, really, we can't get much smaller than a molecule. But controlling that without mechanical intervention is a bit tricky. And that's why they looked for DNA and proteins to actually help provide the control mechanism for this very, very small robot because we can actually work reasonably well with DNA uh, and proteins and get them to switch on and off based on inputs of different chemical signals. These will react with the DNA and with the protein, and that will change. Uh, And if we, as long as there is a way to combine this with some kind of shape change, then you're at a good chance of making a molecular machine. Now, this molecular robot developed by this Rechus group is about one millionth of a meter in size. It's about the same size as a human cell. And it's got three main parts. It's got a molecular actu- actuator, which is basically a protein that moves and provides a mechanical force. Next to that, it has a molecular clutch, which is made of DNA. And this clutch, like the clutch in your car, if you have a manual, it engages and disengages the motor. And the shape of the robot body, the artificial cell membrane that's being created, uh, can be changed by the actuator. So basically, the protein actuator, depending on the the signal it's received, it can actually change its shape from one shape to another. And the force generated by the actuator uh, can be controlled by the molecular clutch. It's one thing to go from one state to another, but when you combine that with a pulsing type cycle, for example, then you have a piston. So this makes a really cool and useful small building block. Now, the way in which it works is that by sending a different signal to the DNA, the DNA part, the clutch, will basically engage or disengage the motor, much in the same way as when you put your foot down in a car to disengage and engage the motor in the gearbox. This is what they're doing uh, by basically changing the actuator in this instance, which is the protein inside this little cell, uh, from being one size to the other size. And so by turning it on and off with DNA signals, they've made a really, really tiny machine. And they've been experimenting uh, with different types of chemicals and different DNA signals to send uh, and they tried over 20 chemicals at varying concentration. It took them about a year and a half to figure out which ones actually work the best for for this application. And this research was led by Associate Professor Shinichiro Namura at Tohoku University's Graduate School of Engineering. Because the engineers are actually trying to find ways to build micro, nano actually, machines. Because once you have a molecular robot who you could control just through chemical signals, it's much easier to think about ways to integrate these into the human body. Now, hopefully, this will lead to more research in the field of autonomous soft micro-robots, which are able to undertake some type of intelligent behavior in response to a chemical trigger. If you want to think about it another way, it's a way that we could make a medicine or a tablet that you swallow that has small machines inside it that are activated at different stages, depending on the chemical that you ingest, is one such idea. So this is some great work being done out of Japan's Tohoku University onto uh, the way to make robots incredibly small and powerful. You and I are made of bones, tissues, skin, organs and a number of other things, but the underpinning infrastructure of all of that is of course circulatory system, most importantly our blood vessel network. Now if we want to study or make artificial organs or maybe uh, undertake some great regenerative therapies by growing new parts or new organs or skin patches, if you don't get this base infrastructure right, much like in the large real world, if you don't get the infrastructure right, nothing else built on top of it will last and that's been the problem plaguing those who are trying to make artificial organs and undertake regenerative therapies. Getting a consistent blood vessel network that works and functions and can integrate with a host body is incredibly difficult. Such a simple thing is actually incredibly complex to manufacture. In life we take it for granted and it grows naturally with us but to make one from scratch is incredibly complex and researchers from the university of california san diego have used 3d printing to help make a functional blood vessel network which is not only just an impressive an impressive application of 3d printing but one that really pushes forward what is possible for regenerative therapies and organ growing the researchers in other labs have been using 3d printing technologies to make artificial individual blood vessels for a while now the problem is if you only make a simple lattice-type structure, which we've talked about in the past before, these are these are great. Uh, you can make you know a tube, right? This is this is useful, but that doesn't actually bear any resemblance to what we have in our own bodies. It may help an organ survive in a lab where you're growing it, but it doesn't mesh with the infrastructure that you actually have inside your body. So for the purpose of a transplant, it's great that you've got like one pipe, but you need thousands. And you also need it to be the type of structure that interacts with that one. What these researchers at University of California, San Diego, led by Professor Xiaoshan Shen, Shen, who is a nanoengineering professor, have they basically developed... A 3d printed vascular network rather than focusing on the organ and the functions of the organ which is important they focused on the underlying infrastructure this huge vascular network that actually can integrate with the body's own network pretty much seamlessly Um, and basically they did this by taking structures that are found inside the body and replicating it inside uh, the 3d printed space now they've used 3d bioprinting which is important this type of 3d printing technology or bioprinting has been around for a little while and Xiaoshan Shen Shen's lab in particular have used this in the past to make liver tissue and a microscopic fish uh, That can s- swim around and detect and remove toxins So these are kind of stuff exists for a while and the, the idea of bioprinting isn't new But first if you want to make a vascular network from scratch You need to know what one looks like and you need an incredibly complicated 3d model of a biological structure And then you sort of take that into 2d slices and then print that the printing method um, basically uses small mirrors and UV protection of light to sort of shine on to lit live cells and light-sensitive polymers, polymers to sort of turn them on and off in a big grid pattern to make the actual structure that you want. Um, it makes a scaffold first and then the the structure the biological tissue grows around that scaffold Then the scaffold dissolves away and you're left with the, the microvascular network in there ready to use. When we say he's printed a whole network, they really, the structure itself is not incredibly large. It's four millimeters by five millimeters and about 600 micrometers thick. It's basically like a stack of 12 strands of hair. Um, but after leaving that in vitro for a couple of days, you can graft that onto skin wounds, say in a mouse, which is what they did in this study in particular. And after two weeks, they found that the, the implant graft had merged completely in with the vascular network, seamlessly, allowing blood to circulate normally, which is a huge, huge deal because it means that you don't have to try and worry about uh, that, that area sort of dying off and you've made it work in a seamless manner. And that's one of the great important parts there. Uh, if we want to advance in regenerative medicine and growing new organs, we've, we need to make sure this infrastructure is correct and this is a great step in order to get us closer to that. There's some good work being done out of the University of California, San Diego. about ways that you can regenerate organs with a built-in infrastructure network such as a vascular system grown specifically for that purpose is great. Now you have an organ that's more likely to survive but if you want to ensure that you get feeling back from say that hand you need to ensure that the central nervous system is functioning well and for that you need to make sure that any injured nerves are actually connected back to the source in a strong way and in a way that won't be rejected and functions correctly. This is where some research from the National Institute for Materials Science, NIMS, in collaboration with Osaka University, have come up with an ingenious strategy for helping make a bond between artificial nerves and existing ones that not only uh, patches that joint, but encourages growth and regeneration in that area. So, this research team, led by Musahiro Ibarra from the Mechanobiology Group, and a couple of orthopedic surgeons from the Osaka University Graduate School of Medicine have built a mesh, which basically can be wrapped around an injured peripheral nerve, and then once it sort of grows in, and it actually incorporate the mesh itself incorporates vitamin B twelve, and not only that, it sort of dissolves through, and helps repair an injured nerve. And the test that they did this on was an injured sciatic nerve in rats. Uh, and so what they found is that it promoted the nerve regeneration and the recovery of the motor and sensory functions rather than just patching the gap. Now, the reason why they're interested in this is there's a lot of times where nerve damage, uh, in, specifically in peripheral nerve disorders, can be a huge problem. And you want to encourage regrowth. Uh, and encourage the function to come back, not just to be there at all. Uh, and that's really big deal for things such as carpal tunnel syndrome. Now, people have made artificial nerve conduits in the past and but to treat peripheral nerve injuries like carpal tunnel syndrome. But normally, well, all they do is just cross-link and form a patch over the injury site. They don't actually help the actual recovery. And the problem is you really have to be suffering from like complete nerve loss, which is not great. (laughs) You don't want someone who's got a hole in the nerves. So that's where using the patching system with the vitamin B12 uh, has been quite interesting. But the problem is B12 is great, but if you ingest it orally, it doesn't really help the effective site. It doesn't travel down to the place where you want it to actually encourage the regrowth. It's just too, too large scale for that. So by integrating the vitamin B12 directly at the site where it needs to do its job, you get a much stronger promotion of regeneration in patients that is otherwise not achievable. And this is some really, really great ideas that the NIMS and Osaka University joint research team actually came up with. Um, Because the mesh itself not only patches the joint, but it slowly releases the vitamin B12 over the course of time until the injury heals. And by using really, really fine mesh fibers, um, they're able to make something that's very, very soft uh, and they can integrate quite nicely. The mesh itself is also made of biodegradable plastic. So once it's released all its B12, the injury is sustained through and repaired. Uh, you actually then just dissolves away, which is great. It leads to no long-lasting concerns in the patient. Now, they've actually done tests on injured sciatic nerves in rats, and they found that it resulted in good regeneration of axons and recovery of motor and sensory functions in about six weeks, which is really, really good. Um, now, the next step is obviously looking at trials for um, carpal tunnel syndrome and work on chemical development, uh, for human trials there's probably still a little bit of a way off but this is some really fascinating ways to show even if we start regenerative medicine and regrowing organs there's a lot of different problems we have to try and solve but we are working hard on them so this is some great work being done out of the national institute for material science nims and osaka university in japan this has been the young scientists of australia's podcast lagrange point from regrowing a vascular network to assist with organ transplant, to regrowing sensory nerves to assist with nerve damage, plus some nanoscale molecular robots controlled by DNA. Our ending theme was composed by AudioNatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.